Welcome to this edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I'm Jay Warmke. And I'm Annie Warmke. You certainly are. And today we're going to talk about finding your path or everything I ever needed to know I learned in Jamaica. Now that finding only makes pants? Path. Path. Oh, path. Path. Okay. I know you're bundled <laughs> up with a hat on. So so we're we're talking to Alex Nash today. And and it sort of makes sense in that Alex spent time in the Peace Corps in Jamaica. But before I go into your entire history, of which I know very little, um, you can tell tell us. So introduce yourself a little bit, Alex. Hi, listeners. Hi, Annie and Jay. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Alex Nash. My pronouns are she, hers, and I am a recent graduate of a master's of public administration program at University of Cincinnati, native of Columbus, Ohio, former Blue Rock intern. And There's the real. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's the most important job description. Yeah, and a former music teacher. So lots of hats over the course of 30 years and uh, wearing one today because it's really cold outside. <laughs> right. Well, you were you taught music in inner city. You, you I did. You're the, probably the shortest teacher those kids ever had. That is accurate. The number of times that uh, <laughs> students, even in elementary school, thought that I was a student. Uh, not, not my school, obviously, once yeah. I was teaching there, but when I was a substitute, I had uh, many in elementary school students say, oh, I thought that was a teacher. I thought that was this kid. Oh. Uh, well, so. well, one of the reasons we thought we would speak to you today is, of course, you're wandering through on your journey to life. And, uh, you know, we're we're pretty much at the uh, at the rest stop. Um, <laughs> speak <laughs> you know, yourself, we're Jay. at the rest stop of life, but Jay you're you're just stop. getting He's started for me to pick him up. So but anyway, <laughs> so so you've been you've been sort of finding or moving in different directions. It looks like, you know, you, you were here as an intern, gosh, how many years ago now? Probably. It's been 12 years, 12 years. Oh my gosh. Gosh. But I do, I, I want her to talk a little bit about that. Cause we were talking about that last night about what has, what's con how did that contribute to the path you're on now? Okay. Or did it? Was that one of the first, first stops or the first uh, cul-de-sacs before you turned around and headed off into the real world? Yeah, I definitely think that uh, Blue Rock was, uh, I, I would say maybe a rest stop along the way as I was finding my path. And perhaps while I was here, I got, you know, some directions from, from you two at the rest stop of, okay, uh, take, take a left at the subway and uh, <laughs> yeah. drive about seven miles. And here we are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So but, afterwards, but, you but, went into teaching. Is oh, that the next thing? Okay. What, what do you think is the value of being an intern that you put, you know, you were here several weeks and, and uh, it wasn't always that comfortable. And I just wonder, what do you think is the value for yourself and maybe for other young people? I think the value of an internship, especially at a place like this, was the opportunity to really just be here to learn without, you know, I certainly had some agendas. And I remember you telling me near the end, you made me take on a project of my <laughs> own so I couldn't just float through uh, without, you know, taking leadership on something. But, you know, for me, I came to Blue Rock when I was 18 and I was here for, I think, just about two months. And so that was a really formative time in my life. So even though at that time I knew that I was going to study music education in undergrad, it was also a really cool and I think unique opportunity for me to just uh, be in community with you and Jay and with the other interns 
and sort of branch out and just have some new experiences that I just never would have, you know, you, you wouldn't have in a, in a K through 12, uh, typical school setting. So it was for me, I think one of the first places where I was doing something that was a little bit out of my comfort zone, but also really encouraged, uh, and, you know, and supported in doing that. It, it wasn't a scary thing to do. Uh, or if I, you know, if I messed something up, we could fix it pretty easily together. Uh, or, you know, even just like learning how to cook for 10, 12 people and using literally <laughs> all of your dishes. Well, you were <laughs> here that summer when we had uh, basically a big brother episode, you know, with, with 10 different, uh, 10 interns and, and, and all of the, of all the too. drama that was going on with that. And, and so that was, that's not the norm, um, for internship situations. No, not anymore. That finished me off. <laughs> right. Yeah. Never again. So did you learn going. a bit about living in community there that you hadn't experienced before? Or was that, was that kind of a wasted, uh, you know, like summer camp or something? No, no, not at all. If anything, I think it's been uh, really, you know, like I said, it happened, I think, at a really formative time for me. And I think really reinforced uh, the importance of community for me. So it's been really cool. As you mentioned, I've been taking a lot of sort of different paths throughout my life. And I'm sure I'll continue to take, you know, have some have some directional changes. But uh, sort of, you know, the through line and consistent thread of all of that is, uh, is community. And, uh, you know, whether that's in a physical place like Blue Rock, where we're all living under a big brother type, you know, <laughs> living situation and, I mean, and, you know, close quarters, or whether that's, you know, keeping up connections as I'm, you know, as I'm moving to different places or, you know, an undergrad back in Columbus. And then, of course, moving to Jamaica, trying to find ways to still maintain that community. And um, I think really, you know, throughout the years, just becoming more and more comfortable with facilitating that and, and really prioritizing that because I don't, I don't know that that's something that we are necessarily taught to value in the same way that I think you know society, American society, teaches us to value. Um, of course, family is its own sense of community, and of course, that's still valuable. But uh, I've always felt that, in general, you know, broad sweeping strokes that you know American society values family. Or the nuclear family, you know, a partnership, a romantic partnership, and sort of a single unit of family above all else. And I think this is one of the one of a, a really special place where obviously those things hold value. It's not that um, they're any lesser, but that you know, community with friends and uh, like-minded people is equally important. Well, I was wondering because you left, you left here, and then you went to school, right, to study to be a music teacher. Yes. Am, I, am I right? Just keep nodding your head. Yes. There, everybody out there will see that. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, right. yeah, and and so then you you went to teach. You did you did what you set out to do. Yes. But then somehow that morphed into packing up your bags and moving to Jamaica in the Peace Corps which seems kind of not a typical second step. No, well, all those, all those urban support systems that you, you went through, I'm saying tongue in cheek. Right, so was it, was it a matter of you got in there and it wasn't what you thought it was going to be and you wanted something drastically different? Or was this just simply another step along a path that in retrospect seems pretty consistent? I think it might have been a bit of both where... I got into a teaching job. I was teaching elementary school music, which wasn't quite my specialization and not what I thought at the time I wanted to do. And uh, I was teaching in Columbus and more inner city school. And it was really challenging seeing 
you know, the different ways that, you know, the, the different things that were impacting my students, but, you know, behaviorally, socioeconomically, and just the, and, and even just the resources available to the school, it was, it was a really challenging environment to work in. And it was so hard because the teachers were so dedicated and some of the best people that I've ever met, you know, just so, so passionate and so good at their jobs. And even with, you know, the best, the best teachers and a lot of supports with technology and being in a newer building, even with those things, there were just still so many, felt like there were so many odds stacked against the students and stacked against teachers to be able to succeed. And that was really hard to to be a part of, especially as a new teacher, when I truly, you know, I was still getting, finding my footing and learning the ropes and I I didn't feel terribly effective. And I I still think that I don't think I was a very good teacher. Uh, I think I had a lot of passion and I hope that I wasn't actively doing a bad job, but I was really struggling. And, you know, after two years at my job, I was starting to try to apply to other teaching jobs and, really, you know, being a music teacher as well, it's already very limited. And some, yeah. as you know, a lot of schools yeah. don't even have music programs at this point or the funding for those is being cut. And that's that's very sad. And it was a reality I knew I was facing when I went into teaching. But uh, while I was applying for teaching jobs, I also had that thought of, well, why don't I just apply to Peace Corps? Let me, let me just see what happens. <laughs> let me just get out of the country, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was, I, again, I was having a really hard time. And uh, for me, Peace Corps has always been something I've wanted to do since I was a child uh, because my dad was in the Peace Corps and that's where he met my mom. And, you know, I've just grew up hearing about stories of my dad's travels and seeing picture or, you know, seeing slides. He has a big slide projector and would subject me and my <laughs> brother to, to slideshows of his travels, but it was really incredible. And I always just thought it was such a cool thing to do. And I've always wanted to travel and it sounded like a pretty cool way to do that. So while I was also applying for other teaching jobs, I applied for Peace Corps and I got in. And so then, you know, then came the question of, can I, you know, can I afford to do this? And is this something that's going to be, is this going to be harmful to my career as a teacher? And I'm just so lucky that I had nothing but support from my family and friends that really affirmed that, you know, there was a, now's really a great time for you to do it. You're, you're single, you don't own a house, you're, you know, you're just, you're renting apartments, you're young, like do it while you, you can. You heal from from inner city well, of America. I was yeah. wondering before we get into Jamaica, before we head down south, um, what were the challenges you're saying? Because I can imagine it's a bureaucracy. That's a challenge. There's there's other restrictions that are placed on you by the legislature, and also the challenge of students who are doing whatever it is they do. So, so what was the the main issue that you were sort of seeing? It's definitely hard to boil it down into into you know one main issue per se, but I think uh, to your point in terms of bureaucracy and you know the the different restrictions and expectations of teachers in K through twelve schools in America is very challenging for teachers to navigate. And I will fully admit that as a music teacher, I did not see the full scope of that because I didn't have the burden of preparing students for testing. I was just thinking in that. the same way. Yeah. I didn't have the burden of preparing students for testing yeah. in the same way that, you know, the K through the K through six teachers did. Um, but of course I, you know, that also disrupted my schedule, you know, testing week, you don't have any classes or a lot of the music classes get shifted around. Um, 
I was also in a building, you know, where for me specifically, I didn't always have a classroom. So I had to teach um, about 300 students music uh, without a physical room that was mine. And and then there was actually one year where I did get a classroom and we shifted some things around in the building and it was still really hard. And, you know, so it wasn't any one issue, I think. And, and then in, on top of all of that, just knowing, you know, the the different ways, I think, the, the different challenges that my students were facing um, at home, outside of school, during school, you know, I, I mean, really a lot of the students we worked with were on free and reduced lunch and I mean really just you know the varying to I guess to put it simply the varying ways that uh growing up in a traumatic in, in traumatic environments impacts students development and impacts their brains and the way that they respond to you know to external um I guess you know just uh, stimulation in terms of you know going from being completely fine to going to complete fight or flight if a student breaks a pencil, just right. the way like, and we learned that in, in some of our professional development of, you know, the ways that students develop, like kids developmentally, their brains just form different neural pathways based on their experiences. And we had a lot of students living in poverty and that is traumatic, you know, even, even with a good home life. Um, so I think, you know, a lot, there were just a lot of behavior problems and, Again, with you know, even with the best teachers and the best resources, it was just hard to to navigate some of that. And um, and of course, I had a lot of great students too. So, okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt here for a second um, and and remind everybody you are listening to when the biomass hits the wind turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke and today Alex Nash, reminding you it is indeed the end of the world as we know it. Thank God. Thank God. So it was the end of your career as a music <laughs> as teacher slash, I, I slash the, counselor. The, the thing that I see, because I have been in that building and uh, visited there many times uh, with uh, another teacher that we do egg hatching with and uh, connecting with the kids. And I and it always occurred to me what a tough environment it is because if you as yourself have not had some of the experiences that those children have had either as a child or an adult, there's a clash of culture. Sure. And I, I could see that. And, um, and so I, you know, I just always felt like how as an adult would I be able to uh, connect with these kids, not meaning cause I was one of those kids. I didn't grow up in poverty, but I grew up being abused and, um, and I, I just kept thinking, well, kindness isn't enough because you're sending them home. And I don't see how you ever get it right. I don't think there's a winning at this. Well, and I know I thing. would not win. <laughs> I would come in as a child of privilege and go, hey, hey, I'm here to teach, right? I'm yeah. not here to try and solve all of the world's ills. You know, sit down, shut up, pay attention and play your damn kazoo, you know? <laughs> Okay. So, so anyway, so that out with the kazoo no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you went, you went off. Uh, you joined the Peace Corps, right? Mm -hmm. Which now I'm, I'm getting interested. The whole music thing, I was like, I'm not interested in doing that. <laughs> but as your, as your crooked path winds its way to uh, down the way. Um, so now, what, what was your experience in Jamaica? Because that first off, it seems like a weird place to me to have the Peace Corps. Um, but also it seems like really a cool place to go, you know, to be in the Peace Corps. So, so what was your experience? 
I mean, it's it's interesting, you know, the different countries where Peace Corps sets up shop and is established. Uh, you know, Peace Corps has actually been in Jamaica since the 60s, I believe. So it's it is a very interesting place to serve. And it's, of course, just a stunning place to live. I still think of it fondly and miss it all the time. And um also, I mean, to your point, Annie, that actually ties in well, uh, what you mentioned about some, you know, cross-cultural differences in teaching, that was very much something I experienced as a, you know, Filipino-American working in a predominantly Black school. Um, you know, moving to Peace Corps was a whole different aspect of cross-cultural navigation. And truly, I, I always tell people that Peace Corps is easily one of the best things I ever did for myself. And I I was one of those people that sort of went into Peace Corps all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And I didn't necessarily have aspirations of changing the world. I, I certainly hoped I would help, but I, I knew it wasn't going to be anything on a grand scale. And um, throughout my Peace Corps process, I, I really did a lot. I had a lot of learning to do and a lot of, um, or I guess I should say unlearning to do perhaps in terms of my you know, my role as an American and as an aid worker in a country that's not my own and um, and just really had a lot to unpack in terms of, you know, how I how I might feel about international development as a and nonprofits as a field in that regard. And um, and just, you know, positionality of of well, what you said too, Jay, of like someone coming in with a lot of privilege mm-hmm. and coming into the space that's not mine and and, uh, you know, with a job to do. But uh you know, sort of just reckoning with what that meant for me as a volunteer. And so, so what was your job down there? What were you still teaching music or was this something else? So, my job in Jamaica was a primary literacy advisor, which essentially was just a reading teacher doing small group reading interventions in, at, a, at a primary school with grades pre K through six. So, actually, a really similar, you know, age group, the exact same age group that I worked with in. Columbus, but obviously a much, much smaller school, a much more rural school, Mm -hmm. (laughs) about 20 minutes from the nearest town and about a 20 minute walk to school uphill both ways. And, (laughs) (laughs) or, you know, they're not, uh, you know, a little ups and downs. Um, But my, I mean, my community was so, so lovely and really warm and welcoming. And my teachers at my school were extremely supportive and, you know, really thankful. And the community the sense of community there was so strong and uh, I, I didn't teach music, but they did have a music club. So I would sometimes just sort of support the the teacher that was already doing musical activities of, you know, the dance, like there was a dance team and uh, you know, doing, doing some dub poetry. So I, I was sort of on the sidelines in that regard in terms of music. I think we maybe did one or two sort of lessons incorporated mm-hmm. with things, but mostly there to teach reading. Now, when you go into the Peace Corps, do you have a a set period of time that you're going to be in it and you did your year or your two years or whatever, and then they boot you on out or can you re-up or, or, and, and if you can, why didn't you? And, and that kind of thing. I, because, because the whole point of this discussion was following a path yes. of someone your age, I mean, in the world that we're involved in today and just wondering, okay, you went from there to there. Well, why'd you go to the next step? So part of the reason that, uh, you know, Peace Corps does have a natural end uh, when you sign up for services, always a two year agreement. Um, although some there are some positions that are only one year. 
my case for service was that I was to be there for two years and it was always supposed to end at, at the end of two years. Uh, so I was one of thousands of volunteers. I, I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but I was part of the global evacuation of Peace Corps of um, evacuating all volunteers for COVID oh. in March of 2020. And but you were coming up towards the end. Exactly. Still getting yanked out. Yeah, I know. We had, we had another intern who had like just started in Peace Corps in Madagascar. And then and they and like, boom, you're out of here. Just starting to get things coming together with yeah. people and stuff. And then they had a dog. Oh, and, gosh. Yeah. That and, would have been very disruptive, though. I mean, not just for you, but globally. Um, yeah. And that so I'm I'm I think. I consider myself very fortunate that I was already coming up at the end of my two years mm -hmm. and I had already, I was supposed to be coming back in May of 2020. So really it was just cut short only by a few months. And mm -hmm. that really, I think, again, just a huge privilege that I already had my next steps planned, um, which I guess to the point of the, the winding path was that during Peace Corps, even under, you know, I would argue some of the best teaching conditions where I, you know, was very, very supported at my school. And a lot of the students obviously still experiencing poverty um, and, and challenges at home, but just very different from my school in the States, um, you know, realizing that I just didn't feel like teaching was necessarily my calling long term for my career. Well, then then you're coming back to the U.S. and right in the middle of COVID and kind of going, oh, now I got to get a job. Right. But well, even I, interviewing would be tough, I would imagine. It was. I actually had an interview. Um, Maybe I was, it was during my two week mandated quarantine after coming back to the country for, uh, it was just for a, um, a graduate assistantship because I was luckily already had laid the groundwork to be starting graduate school in the fall after coming back. Oh, okay. So again, I was really lucky where, you know, from the evacuation, I already had uh, a plan lined up. So I just had a couple more months of um, unstructured time than was intended but again, was very lucky that that kind of worked out. And I, I was already in grad school, already had. And then when I came back, I had to get funding sorted out. But I was able to do that and go straight into graduate school during COVID, which is kind of its own weird thing. But again, better than I think better than not having any, you know, anything lined up. OK, and then from graduate school, uh, did you go into the job you're in but now? I want to say before you say that is okay. that it's that one of the things, at least for myself, that I experienced living overseas and also going away a lot to other countries is I found it hard to come back. I had I still sometimes feel like I'm still adjusting and it's, you know, 18 years. <laughs> um, there are just some things about this culture that I cannot ever accept. Were you kind of overwhelmed by the stimulus? of of the United States. I mean, that was something we saw. You go into a restaurant and there are seven televisions playing and music and people running around and it just felt like this is insane. Yeah, I will it was really hard to come back and even even though I always intended to come back and knew that I was going to be coming back. Yes, the adjustment after living abroad and then coming back to live in the states even though I'm from here and grew up here was quite the adjustment. And I think to add COVID on top of that was really hard. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, I think during the height of quarantine and, you know, a lot of being home, being a bit isolated, Peace Corps volunteers across the country really? were like, we prepared for this yeah. for two years. We are, we are yeah. so good at spending time uh -huh. on our own and yeah. taking it easy and filling our time. But I, I will say, especially going straight into a graduate program was, I feel like I'm still finding my balance even after graduating. It was just a 
the the pace at which you're you know you're expected to do things and um just move through the world and you know the mm-hmm. I think that really the productivity and the grind culture of America is very very hard for for me and I think in general but especially after two years of sort of island time and just a just a slower pace of life that I found really. Um, I really enjoyed personally, and I think felt very much more natural to me. I think it's interesting because I've been reading a lot about thriving and the whole concept when you look at other cultures, uh, some specific cultures like uh, Denmark. And so it isn't really a slower culture. It is a shifted um, values culture. So the work is only there. So it sustains your ability to go ride your bike and read to your kids and, um, get exercise and, and, um, and learn and all these other things that are so enriching in life and contribute to health. And the work is important and they work hard and, and that's it. So it's not really slower. It's a redirected importance, I think. Okay. So now, now that you're like in your, let's say your postgraduate work environment, um, are you, are you kind of looking back at this process? Cause there's what we've walked through is maybe a 12 year pathway from internship to finishing college, to going into a job, to going, Oh, oh my God, get me out of here to going to Jamaica, to coming back to COVID to another graduate school and then a job. I think a lot of people think that there's a steady progression of things that you're going to do as you go through life. It doesn't sound like this was something that you would have planned out ahead of time, but do you feel like it was logical when you look back at it? Absolutely. I think that, um, you know, even if some of the jumps don't necessarily make sense, one thing that I found really valuable in my graduate program and hopefully in my future work with, uh, you know, either with policy or nonprofits and working towards, you know, social equity is uh, the ways that my different experiences have all accumulated to lead up to this point And I think really informed the way I view the world and also the way that I can understand, you know, systems and to your, to our conversation last night, just the way that so many of our systems are so broken is, and, um, you know, having, you know, having experience as a teacher and as a, you know, as a Peace Corps volunteer and being in these different environments and actually seeing firsthand the way that a lot of systemic inequity, you know, presents itself in the world and how that's contributing to, to, I mean, truly, I think any social issue, it's, it's in everything, right? And it's all connected. And that was really my big takeaway from grad school and studying public administration through a social justice lens. So even though my path might be maybe less traditional, I think it's uh, very much makes a lot of sense. And I, I, I always encourage folks, you know, if they're on a winding path to just stick with it. Before Jay cuts us off, I have one more question <laughs> really quickly. And that's to say, what's one thing that you have faith in going forward at this point? Uh, this might not be a popular opinion, but I do have faith in people, I think. And, and I think in people and connections and community and maybe not every person, you know, maybe not the top 1%. I don't think I have faith in them, but I I really just seeing the way that um, people are connecting today and, and continue to connect during COVID and, um, and are building community and really building movements, I think 
gives me a lot of hope and faith for the future. Okie doke. Well, you have been listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke, along with our optimistic Alex Nash. Way to go. <laughs> we want to thank our ever obstinate and optimistic Emmy Award-winning producer, Adam Rich. Thank you for spending just a little bit of time with us. And as your grandmother hopefully told you, the secret to a happy and sustainable life is... Play nice with others. Clean up your own mess and have faith in each other. And join the Peace Corps. Till next time. <laughs> Bye-bye. You can find more information on living sustainably in our unsustainable world at blueRockStation.com. Blue